So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here is the answer. I'm A.J. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome to this episode of Cash Flow to Freedom. It's going to be a very different episode because today you just have me. We have been doing interviews with people all over California and uh, up in the Northwest. We've been running around with our new software company that we've funded and we've took some personnel from our organization down to Southern California to start help test how the software is going to function, which we want to give you an update on. We've had so many emails coming in that have just been awesome, great feedback. And uh, there's been a conversation going on. So I, I decided to move some of these interviews off until the next week, because there's been a lot of conversation going on on stacking the odds of success into your favor. You cannot ever limit risk. Uh, That's impossible. There's so many things you can't control. But I think how investors and business owners that are successful perceive risk is very, very different than others. I know that I do. I when I participate in investment and business opportunities, I believe they're much lower risk than the average person would assume them to be. It is nothing like gambling. And today we wanted to talk with you on how the companies that we've started and invested in have been successful, are all cash flow positive at this point, and how even when they were losing money, I didn't worry at night. This is important because I know so many of you out there that are trying to achieve financial freedom, you're trying to grow your business, your real estate portfolio, you don't want to make a mistake. You're worried about the market, where it's at. And so many of you are just having a hard time getting started. Been there, done that. Some of the steps that we've had to take were extremely scary to me at the time. Looking back, it was like, this was just no brainers. And I've had to really learn to control this part of me. And, And one of the principal things that we're talking about today is emotion. Now there's other factors in how you build out processes, systems, identifying successful strategies and guaranteeing high returns, Uh, not guaranteeing, but all but guaranteeing, putting those things in your favor. So it's not guesswork, it's not gambling, and you're not throwing stuff at a wall to see what sticks, but you're doing things that you know leads to success. So that leads to I think, experience and understanding. But before you can get there, you need to get started. And this is filled with a lot of unknown inputs, right? There's things that you don't know and understand about the process of investing, starting companies, even taking things to the next level. You may be very used to investing in small houses and duplexes, and you're looking to go into large multifamily, and that worries and scares you. You may have worked for a corporation for a long time that you understand your job perfectly, and you feel great in it, but moving off onto your own to do the exact same thing for some reason terrifies you. And this is really what we want to talk about. So to give you some context, we now have a cash flow positive benefits brokerage. So health benefits is what uh, I do insurance. And we now have that firm. It's cash flow positive. It's, it's going great. It's something that I did for a long time. I knew it in and out. And when I started this on my own, there, there was some apprehension 
about going into it. And over the last two years and completing this and building it up, I want to talk to you, though, why I didn't worry and how I projected out and brought those barriers down. But before you can even get into that, there's always this first stopper that comes with everybody, and that's their emotions. I don't know why it is, but we are as terrified to fail, or in most cases, more terrified to fail in financial aspects than we are to get hurt. I know a lot of people will endure way more physical pain than they would ever endure in the potential of not even just financial failure, but I think personal failure. Now that may mean look stupid. That may mean take a loss, risking future potential. And I'm not I don't want to downplay it because it's important. I get it. And a lot of people may say, if I lost this, there's an opportunity cost, which is very true. In fact, that is my chief concern today. But letting your emotions dictate your decisions, particularly financial decisions, leads to poor decisions. It leads to bad outcomes. And one of the reasons is, is because the market doesn't care about your feelings. You just need to learn this. Your customers, the buyers, your clients, nobody cares. They do not care that you really want this bad. They do not care that you think that your product is awesome. They are looking for a result that you are trying to bring to them. And if you can, you succeed. If you can't, you won't. That success is not and should not be predicated based upon your feelings. But yet so many of us make these financial decisions when all the data shows contrary that we're scared. We're scared that we're going to fail, that we're going to look dumb. Now, this also has the reverse effect. Lots of people make decisions because they're afraid of missing out. We see this so much and this can lead to disaster. At the end of the day, either way, fear of failure, fear of missing out, you know, it can lead to bad decisions. When, when we started investing, I, when we started to get into real estate, we were constantly told that it is the worst time to ever be in real estate. Don't do it. Don't make that purchase. The market's going to fall again. It's going to crash. The contracts aren't good. Things are only going to continue to decline. Don't do it. Now that we're at the top of the market, there's not a soul that says, I would not develop. I wish I'm investing. And it's not that it's bad now or that it's bad then. But it's that the people were making and saying these things based upon unknown factors that are being driven by their emotions. So how I try to get over this is when I look at deals, I know that I have certain criteria that I need to hit. If I can't, I just walk away. They're just not an option. I have rules. I have rules that I have to follow when I invest. This also, this prohibits me from getting caught up in deal flow, or not deal flow, it gets me caught up in this missing out. And I seeing everybody doing these deals, and supposedly everybody's making money. And I'm sitting here going, geez, I thought I was pretty good at this. And it's been a year since I've done a deal. I'm missing out. I'm missing the market. I'm missing the opportunity as if it'll never come around again. That's just not true. Now, I know exactly my rules, what I'm trying to achieve, and what I need to buy. So I need to wait until that comes across the desk. I need to wait till it's the right opportunity, but it's not dictated how I feel. It's based upon the parameters that I have set. Now, with that said, when I look at a deal, I need it to be good now. 
and I need it to be great later. Now, this is important, and the reason it's important is because too many people buy deals that is that they know is going to be great later. That is so flawed because that is being driven, I believe, upon more hopes and dreams than and their desire to be successful and to hit it big than anything else, which there's nothing wrong with hitting it big. There's nothing wrong with taking high, big risks, but we need to call it what it is. You are gambling because the future is unknown in what you're doing. Now, we do this. I develop. So we're looking at a location right now that will be a very large ground-up development on a storage facility. It'll probably cost 10, 12 million that we will have to go in. We have us and some other partners that all have to go in to do this deal. Now, the reasons why we're doing it are based upon the numbers and it's based upon the current demand, what the customers are wanting, the marketplace, these kind of inputs. Now, traditionally, I must say this is a little more what I would say would be scary. And it's one of those things that I have to put off to the side because I'm so used to buying existing properties and turning them around. Although I've done developments, we've done expansions, we've torn facilities down, built them up. It seems like every time though we go to do it again, there's always just this, because I, I just don't know. So one of the things that I've done to limit the exposure on that risk of the unknown, which then helps me is, is twofold. So when I'm doing things that are further down the line, so the gains are not are, are not current, but they're potential. First of all, I don't buy anything that will need to have something happen in order for me to capitalize on that gain. Let me explain. When I'm developing a facility, I take the cost of the land, I take the cost of development, and then I give my time a fill-up rate based upon the current market conditions at the current market price. So what I'm saying is that based upon today, what is happening, it should perform in X. I don't need markets to go up. I don't need the city to expand. I'm not saying, oh, this is an up-and-coming facility, and as long as people keep moving, or location, as long as people keep moving here, it's going to be great. That's why we have some major problems with some of the areas that we're located in and that we've developed, and we developed years ago in some locations that now it seems like people are developing everywhere. When you ask them why they're, this is a hot market and people are moving here, and it's going to be hot for a long time to come. That, to me, is scary. I like to look at stable markets that have existing demand at current prices that I can get my return on what currently exists. So that's the first That's the first way that I try to eliminate the risk. Say, if this was up today, I know that based upon my marketing strategy, my average conversion on a customer at X price, and I know that there's X amount of square foot of demand that is not being met on these types of products in this market currently that I could get that equals to be a certain amount of square footage. Let's call that 300,000. If I supply 80,000 within reasonable amounts, you know, uh, without obviously a recession, something unforeseen coming, which does happen, which will lead me to my next thing, but uh, I should fill up at X. I, I don't need prices to rise. I don't, I'm not talking about something, some new company coming in. I'm talking about existing. 
that gives me something to benchmark off. I can take my prices, know that I can hit my 20% cash on cash return based upon those numbers. Now, there's the other part, which because I'm not going to receive that, let's say on average, when I start the development to my stabilization period, it's three years time, there's this unknown. Okay, so this is so that's the first part how I analyze and 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 underwrite for developments or for future gains that are unknown today. The second part, so I'm going to do a second and third part, I guess. Yeah, second and a third part. The second part is that I limit the exposure of my portfolio down. So I'll never be risking substantial amounts on something that is future because I have a portfolio X amount of square feet. If I took less than 10% of the square feet, which is in development phase, which there is an element that is unknown. It could take longer than I want or whatever it may be. I know it's completely controlled and I don't need this to hit to make me. I don't need this to hit to make my goals and I could cover it even if it doesn't hit. Um, So even if it does just okay or even poorly, I'm okay. Now, that's the second. So risk exposure, understanding that risk with my total portfolio is, is, is different. That's also, too, why I advocate if you are wanting to get into an asset or an industry, don't just go to develop. Buy something first that's cash flowing. See if you can turn around, understand the functionalities, the revenue drivers, how you're going to fill it up, what customers want, create policies and procedures to achieve those goals, and then you can rep, replicate that later. That's my personal opinion. That's how we've done it. And it's how I limit risk. The third way is a very important thing that we do. And that is on the financing side, we work with loans that are not personally guaranteed. This way, if for some reason, this unknown future, something goes wrong, we've done our best to make it work. But I don't know what happens. Something a governor says we are going to get rid of, you know, multifamily homes, everything else like that in the city. Everybody has to move and they lose 50% of their population. I have no control over it. Then the asset sits empty. It's negative cash flow. We can turn the keys back in to the banks and you can say, this is a commercial property. We aren't personal guaranteeing it. So that is a strategy that I use in most people doing large commercial developments, they do use because the risk is being taken on by the bank who is taking on the asset. So the person, the it's not a person that backs the asset. It is the asset itself. Okay. So the bank underwrites it, says, we accept this asset as the collateral. You don't need to sign your personal belongings to it. If it fails, you turn the keys in. You just keep going, living your life. The bank then claims that asset and it sells it off or does whatever it wants to regain, to recoup what is owed or lost. They move on. Okay. We do this in several forms. Most of the time when we're doing it, we are doing it with uh, CMBS loans. These are loans that are lots of commercials. Loans are packaged together that they are collateralized. They're all put together. They're shred up into pieces. Then they're sold to the bond market and investors buy those bonds. And then the investors take that risk, not us. It's a product that's sold on, you know, the bond market, which for anyone that's learning about financing or wants to know, you know, once again, the stock market is extremely small compared to the bond market. Debt markets are the real markets that the world works on. And this is how real estate is sold on there for non-recourse. Now, There's plus sides, downsides to this, but that's another story. 
We'll get into that another time. We're talking about risk. These three things help me eliminate my emotions because I'm going off facts. I'm going off current status. I don't have to hope, pray that things will work out. The second is it limits. So even if I can say, hey, this is going to go south, the exposure to the me and the rest of my portfolio, it, it, it's not a huge thing. And then the third is I don't personally guarantee it. So if it goes super south, the investors on that debt, they take the hit, not me. Those are three ways that I use to what I think would be called lower risk, keep those things in check on something that has future gains that that I'm openly knowing because I don't care who you are if you are developing or even if you're starting a business and you're hoping customers come or not they don't exist so you don't know now on the business side there are ways that I've can avoid this once again is you can purchase an existing business we're doing this currently we're moving into a space that I'm not nearly as familiar I have an operator that is very familiar but to ensure that we can build the framework to grow the company correctly. We're buying a company that has an operator that isn't doing a very good job and they're still being successful. So we're buying that and then we're going to be able to turn that company around. Then from there, we can launch, let's say, products that are unknown. Now, if you don't have the capital to buy, there's other ways you can go about this. So if you don't have the capital, you're saying, that's great. I don't have the money to go out and develop. I don't have the money to purchase that kind of asset. Okay. There's another way that you can do this. And this is personally finance, which is the main one. This is, and two, once again, I say personally finance, I personally finance our deals anyways. So if I do that development and it goes under, I'm losing millions. It's not like I don't lose any money. The bank requires us to put that money, whether it's I, I put up the cash or it's debt from another form, right? Now, when we start up our consulting company as well as other companies, I'm just giving my income to have that start. So one of the best ways to reduce your risk and ensure that you're put the odds in your favor that you will succeed is understanding the market and making sure the demand is there. And everybody's like, well, that's obvious. And you would think that it's obvious, but it tends not to be. And uh, there's so many people that say, oh, I know there's a demand for this. And you ask them, well, how do you know? Everyone's told me. I'm like, that does not matter at all. Okay, first of all, I, I just, that doesn't matter. If you're going to go spend millions of dollars and hope that people will come and buy, I, I dislike that very much. I've never done a business like that. And I, I don't know that I would. A uh, perfect example is with the software product. The people that are starting the company, so the our, our investors that we have, we're with a group of people that are coming together to fund the development of the software pro product, are going to be the end users of the software product. So we are going to be our own customers, which limits our risk down because we're all going to pay for the operations, which then will allow it to continually grow from there. And then we can adapt, have other people come on, and the upside is the unknown. So we are building something to fulfill demand that is known and currently exists because it's us. And we know that we alone can, I don't know if 100%, but almost support the whole entire company. So there's very low risk of failure. We're like, well, hopefully the customers will come and all the investors are like, well, they're going to because we're them. And so that that's a great way to go about it. Now, another way is obviously being in a space that you know and understand, and there's already existing demand. When I started up the consulting company, um, we work with 
companies that need health insurance. Okay. So they are currently existing buying health insurance. I need them to use me as opposed to somebody else. So what I do is I use, I go to them. I have products, services, things that they're already paying for that I can provide to them. And I do this either better, more efficiently, or give them things they're not already getting. And then they move to me. So now it's just a, a game of, I'm looking at it saying, do I have a reasonable chance at converting this person to a client? And depending on the industry, there's obviously lots of ways that you can do it. I still had my other jobs that I was working while I financed this out of my own pocket. Now, if you're doing a startup, okay, we talked about investing, we kind of talked about real estate, either buying a companies, you can buy another way to re- franchises, you're buying the model, we've done franchises, I've owned gyms that were franchises, and you're having the help and you're buying a model that has already produced results that you can benchmark off. But if you're going and starting a service company or something out on your own, look at that. Uh, look at the current demand. Do you have any experience in this? So one one of the things you look at when you're looking at demand and your services that you're going to bring to the table and how efficient they are, whether it's efficient or not, have you been in that business? Do you really, really know? So I worked for one of the top firms in the world, you know, billions of dollar firm based out of Chicago. And I ran their division here and I knew the competitors and I'd worked with individual operators before that and been involved in the financing, product creation, everything like that for the service building. So I I knew, I understood what is being offered and I knew how to deliver a product that is in demand, but not being served. So through that, I lowered my risk and we were it, we were profitable in less than one year. That's with employees. That's with, I mean, just the tech alone that I was having to support was very expensive. And then obviously employees are, are very expensive for me to do it now. And this was, even though I had employees, they were support staff for me. I still had to be going out making the sell. I still had to do all the work associated with this to get this across the line, which means I work early, early mornings, late nights, every weekend, and I work every holiday to achieve this. But we knew that it was possible. We knew that we could, and we knew that we could at a semi-lower risk. Now, my exposure that I had was this. I was paying for it out of my pocket. So how me and my wife determined that we would cultivate opportunities, this comes back once again cash flow freedom. We wanted high cash flows. So we kept our living expenses as low as we could. We kept adding assets and lines of income as much as we could. And then the disposable income, so to speak, of our household, we used to generate new opportunities. So I had X cash flow that I could feed this company every single month while it was starting. Without saying, oh, I got to go into mass debt. I had savings I could fund this company from coming out of my pocket. At any time this company, I said, this is not going to work out. It's going to fail. We, I just simply stopped paying. You have to let the people go. You cancel contracts, all those kind of things you got to do when wrapping up a company. But I'm not going bankrupt. I'm not losing it all because I put all this debt into it. Now, I can do that. Other people, they say, oh, I don't have, well, then you need to go get a partner in the business that can be your financial partner and you can be your operating partner. There's always ways to accomplish this. And if you say nobody will be my financial partners in the business, okay, that means that you probably don't have a very good pitch that you're doing. 
And if you say, well, I think it's great, this brings me back again to the market. Nobody cares if you think it's great. You need to prove, you need to show there's demand, that there's customers. If you have a good idea, if you have a great product, money always comes. Money is the least of anybody's problems in business and investing. If I could go out and show investors a 20% cash on cash return deal that took me eight months to find and I reviewed a thousand deals to find it, you will have money come in. Now, the problem with that is that takes mass amounts of work. It's not easy, right? And two, we get so emotional. It doesn't exist. It's too hard. And investors and people putting in emotion, they need facts, not emotions. You know, you standing up and crying in front of a, uh, an investor and how I need this. This will be so good for my family. And you don't understand. I just believe so much in that. That is not a good way to win. You need to put in the work, back up what you're saying and show the numbers. This once again, this is how it works with banks. Our organization goes through mass amounts of time when we want to do, if I'm going to go out and do a $10 million development, I got to convince a bank to come on and underwrite this asset. And two, not only that, non-recourse, they have to really know that this is going to turn out well. And I have to be able to prove to them and show them. Now, if I can't, if it's not an asset backing it up, if I have a business model, I at least need to be able to show tests. And when I show tests, I'm not talking about, well, this is a multi-billion dollar market. Even if I have 1% of the market, that's the worst line you could ever use. People hate that. It's just a terrible analogy because that's not how business works at all. You need to look at saying there's X amount of contracts that I know do not receive X service and are currently looking for it. And I have five committed statements from three different companies that want to use our product in their stores or whatever it may be, X price. And when I put these contracts in at X price, we can break even immediately. I'm not going to take a salary out. The investors say, great, we already have commitments. We have some kind of protection on the downside and you're not taking money out of this deal. So I know it can be, you got to sacrifice, you got to put the work in and obviously it's hard, but once again, you have to stack those odds in your favor because if you're allocating capital and money, you really, really have to make sure that there's the odds of you winning are really big. Now, of course, I know everyone's saying, oh, well, two guys in a garage and Instagram. Okay. Well, venture capitalist. Yeah. If you can get a venture capitalist to give you money on a startup tech company, that's going to be worth billions and billions of dollars. Great. Because they know that they're going to invest a hundred of them and 95 of them are going to fail. And three of them will do okay, but two are going to be rock stars, right? The odds that you're the two are fairly low, but they're going to diversify it amongst their bets that they're putting on. And two, they have all the backing to help you accomplish that. Apple didn't get successful just because of Steve Jobs, Instagram, on and on and on and on. They have venture capitalist companies that came in and created those companies alongside with them. And I think that's the key. You have to shift the odds in your favor. You have to get rid of your emotions, stick to hard numbers, facts, figures, and you have to show, be able to show how this is going to work. You need to be able to show all those things that you need to build this company to make it successful. You need to be able to prove that you've either thought of them, you know how it works, and then you need to go out and start doing. Taking a blank piece of paper that's a business plan and saying, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy five duplexes a year and I'm going to be 
cash flow positive and it's all going to be in the Bay Area and that I'm going to be financially free. It's just not going to cut it. It's just not. So the point of this podcast is stack the odds in your favor. Don't gamble. Play to win. And make sure you're going to win before you get into it. Now, I know things happen and I know things fail. But if you don't have a really good feeling that this is probably going to work, which once again, you can never get rid of risk. I'm not saying try to do that. That side of it is overcoming emotion. Okay, you have the two sides. You need to make basically say, listen, there's a really good shot. This is going to work and work really, really well. Um, and then the other side is, even though you can say that, your emotions are going to be going crazy saying, don't do it. This is risk. You're going to die. None of those things are true. You're not going to die. You know, it is risky. But then you set yourself up with your finances and your partners to be ex- to accept those risks that you're going to take and overcome that and just absolutely plow down that fear and that emotion with logic, numbers, sound advice, plans, and partners. And the best way to overcome all of these is, you know, I say this a lot and I really, really mean it. Finance, success in general, success doesn't happen on an island. I know you see the poster of Forbes and there's one person on the cover, but there's thousands, if not millions of people that help get that person on the cover. It, it doesn't happen on an island. The better your team will be, the lower risk you'll have, the greater odds you will get. And I don't mean your best friend, Bob, that you've been friends with since you were kids or your sister, because you know, you two are just absolutely like glue. You're stuck together and you know, you're so close. No, selecting the right people for the right parts of that business or that investment that are the best in the world to get it to where you need to go. This will help you with investors, banks, and two, it'll help you with your peace of mind, your emotion. So the plan, getting rid of emotion and getting the right team on board, you'll get good feedback and taking the right feedback from those team members that have skin in the game, as opposed to, you know, your mother or, someone that has nothing to do with it, doesn't matter. Put people that believe in you, that believe in what you're trying to achieve, but two, that are qualified to make that feedback, to give you that feedback. People that are qualified to say either this this will work or this won't, that will share in the upsides and the downsides, that have experience in getting that. Bring them in. I don't care if this is paid right partnership, if this is a mentor, or if this is actually a part of your team, you're paying, giving equity, whatever it is, surround yourself with those people that are all on board to help you execute it. Don't try to do it on an island. Because then all of a sudden your fear is, oh, this is all dependent on me and I could fail. Okay, well, then actually probably listen to your fear at that point. It shouldn't all be dependent on you. It shouldn't. You need this, you need multiple people and you need good people to execute I don't care if it is just a duplex that cash flows. You know, you need to be dealing with the best financial partners, realtors. You need to understand your numbers. You, there's so many things that go into, involved in this. All those things will just stack the odds in your favor, but hedge your risk in case it doesn't work out. Don't mortgage your house and your 401k and all your bank accounts and everything on an idea that may or may not work and you're the only one at risk. That to me is scary. 
And in today's age, you don't have to do it. There's so many ways that you can stack the odds in your favor, get a great team on board, just be ready to work your brains out. You got to work harder than anybody because it doesn't matter how much the odds are stacked in your favor. If you can't execute it, won't happen. Anyways, I know this is a rant, but I think it's really important. And I hope those things are helpful. I hope that you can take those in and say, okay, listen, if you're making a business plan, the best business plan would be what are the resources that I need to execute on the dream and then have them come in and help you execute or create the plan that needs to be executed. You need to be able to be ready to move. If you come in, you're like, no, this is my dream. You know, you shut up. Don't tell me what to do. You're, you've already failed. So you need to be able to be mobile and be ready to make changes based upon what others want. So stack the odds in your favor. I hope it helps. Two, I mentioned the development. We're talking more on that on the self-storage income podcast. And I think we made a video too. So if you're interested in the storage stuff, I know a lot of our listeners are, you can jump over to self-storage income. It's only about storage and the videos that we're putting up on YouTube. So we're going very specific and niche into that. We're also going to be talking about on Cashflow to Freedom, this company that we're supposed to close on this week. I think it's Friday, so it'll probably be the week after we can come in and inform you guys. But I hope this was helpful, and I hope you guys have a great week and get after it. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more, and feel free to check us out at cashflow with the number two freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.